0: Welcome to the Sandhills Media Ministry. We hope this production encourages and challenges you to live a more Christ-centered life. All right, well, I hope you guys have finished all of your Christmas shopping. I know for me, yesterday, I was trying to knock that out. Um, had a couple of completely different experiences. One went to Academy Sports. They had about 40 people in line for about three cashiers who were clearly paid by the hour. They uh, had no awareness of time, nor of the people standing in line behind them. They were just enjoying themselves. After that, uh, my wife had asked me to run by Trader Joe's. And uh, I don't normally go to Trader Joe's. Apparently, that's a whole thing. Uh, y'all that shop there, you're a unique kind of people. And, uh, and they know what they're doing. I mean, I will say this. I got in, I got my stuff. They had like 20 cashiers with helpers. And I busted out of there. So all my Christmas shopping next year, Trader Joe's. Uh, <laughs> I highly recommend. All right, well, let me ask you a question as we start thinking about Christmas. Are you as bothered as I am with all of the evil that is in the world today? I bet you are. I know you are. It's the wars. It's the mess. It's the cancer, which our family's dealing with again, now with my mother-in-law. It's all of the hate that we see in the people all around us. It's the evil that people keep inventing new ways of doing. It's the death that surrounds us. It's horrible. It's horrible. Let me ask a follow-up question. Are you as bothered as God is with all of the evil in yourself? We grade ourselves on a curve, don't we? Well, you know, I haven't murdered anybody. I haven't cheated on my wife as though that makes me wonderful in the eyes of God. But when it comes to his standards, he knows Jeff is rebellious. Jeff is stubborn. Jeff is proud. At his core, Jeff can be wicked so easy to see it in others, so hard to see it in ourselves. You know, it's funny, when you think about the history of the world, it all started so well. God, in all of his love, created the universe and all that's in it. His crowning achievement was mankind, created in his image, right? In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Not in the physical image, of course, but with the will, the emotion, the intellect, the passion, the sense of morality, the image of God. The image of God, unfortunately, now corrupted. So I've been asked numerous times over the course of my life, and if you're a Christian, you've probably been asked this as well. How could a good and loving God allow evil and suffering? But I'll tell you, I actually think that's one of the easier questions to answer. Before we answer it, let's start with this. Is God the author of pain and suffering? Does he cause it? Well, no. But some would argue, but he could have prevented it. All right, so let's, let's talk about this for a second. So, well, at some point in your life, you probably wanted a bicycle. I don't know, I think, I guess. Like when I was a kid, I still remember the one I wanted. There was this kid down the street that got it. I did not. Um, it was this Rampar bike. It had blue tires and gold rims. I don't even know who made the Rampart. I just know that it was the super cool bike of my day. And, uh, you know, it's like one of those that you could do all this cool stuff on and, you know, you look awesome, all that kind of thing. So imagine this Christmas that a dad gives his kid a super cool bike. And he says to him, now, you need to be careful with this. If you don't handle it right, you could wreck it. And if you wreck it, you're really going to get hurt. So the child goes on a ride for the bike, and once they get a little bit out of dad's eyesight, they decide they're gonna try popping a wheelie over a curb. And just a short time later, they're laying on the ground with a skinned knee, tears in their eyes, and a busted bike. Dad runs up to them, and as the dad runs up to check on them, the child turns in anger to the father and says, how could you do this to me? What kind of a loving parent would bring suffering on their child like this? Now, if you were to watch this whole affair, you would probably think something like this. This child lacks perspective. Well, when people ask me, how could a good and loving God allow evil and suffering? I have a similar kind of thought. This person lacks perspective. A simple history lesson will provide insight. So when God created the first two people and he placed them in this garden of paradise, he just gave them a simple warning. Don't wreck the bike. Right? There's this tree in this garden from which you cannot eat. The day you eat of it, you will surely die. Now, Adam and Eve did not know what death was, and so maybe we can excuse a little bit of their ignorance. But they could know they could trust God, and they should have known they could trust God, and yet. Eve was deceived and Adam followed her. Genesis chapter three, verse six says, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and she ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. And the day they took that fruit, they were stained with sin and brokenness. And now every child born thereafter would be the same. Every person from that point forward would struggle in life and eventually die. Merry Christmas. (laughs) Well, it's not all doom and gloom. I mean, we can have a good life. Some of us can have a great life. Life is good, but it is often a struggle, and death is still certain for all. So evil, pain, and death, they're all here because of us, not because of God. We initiated it, and we perpetuate it. Our good God warned us. His love sought to spare us. He urged us to trust him, and we did not. We sinned. And if we die, that stain of sin is upon us. And if it is, we enter into the harsh judgment of God, and it is well-deserved. His integrity is not in question any more than our guilt is in question. So what now? The world is broken because of us. Evil is here because of us. Suffering is here because of us. Death is here because of us. And while we would love to lay all the blame for this at the feet of a loving and good God, he has done nothing but try to protect us from ourselves. But what if he wasn't done? What if in his infinite wisdom and knowledge, he knew we would blow it? What if he designed an escape plan, an alternate ending for our stories, if we wanted it? He removed himself from our sight, but not from our presence. And please don't make this mistake. Don't don't mistake the appearance of absence for the absence of presence. People do that all the time. Don't mistake the appearance of absence for the absence of presence. I was talking to somebody about this uh, recently, and I said to them, I said, I know this is going to sound weird, but I feel like sometimes I can feel God like he is all around us. And God continued to send messages to these rebellious people. He spoke to a guy named Abraham, and then to Isaac, and then to Jacob. He created a people for himself that he would love and show them favor, and they would love him in return. He gave them his law, the the reflection of his character in words so they would know how God thought about how we should live life. He spoke to these people through priests, through prophets, and within these communications he hid a message and it is a hidden message 2nd Samuel chapter 7 the lord is speaking to david this is what we hear when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers i will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and i will establish his kingdom he shall build a house for my name and i will establish the throne of his kingdom forever now we know it wasn't solomon that Uh, was supposed to be this king. The last line is what throws the whole thing. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. What kind of king is this? Whose line, whose rule will last forever? And then Isaiah. Isaiah says such weird stuff if you read his book. Like in Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel. Well, the virgin shall conceive. Like in their day, when they read this, they thought, well, okay, so a woman gets married who's never been with a man, she'll have a child. The virgin will conceive. But that last thing, shall call his name Emmanuel? Emmanuel means God with us. What child born on this earth would we say is God with us? And then Isaiah gets weirder in chapter 9. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, Emmanuel. Like what is going, who is this person going to be? And then Isaiah says this in chapter 53. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And then we see in Micah chapter 5, verse 2 But you, O Bethlehem of Phratha, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who's to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. And so we have this weird prophecy of this guy that's supposed to come. He's going to be an amazing king. He's going to be God with us in his presence and yet rejected by people. And even as one who's rejected by people, he will take upon himself punishment that we deserve. What message had God hidden in these prophecies? And these prophecies were given hundreds of years before the birth of Christ. Who was this man to be? Now, the Hebrews, as they studied the scriptures, they'd already come to the conclusion that God was promising some sort of future king. And so they came up with a name for him, this future king, the one anointed by God to lead his people. They called him Messiah. He is the one who could fix what we broke. So, God, the one betrayed by his own creation, creates a new opportunity for us to be rescued. Our actions brought condemnation. His actions offer salvation and at his expense. But it's not automatic for all people. Something very important is required. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the preview of this man to come. This promise, this anticipated Messiah, this future Christ. Lord, we have gathered today to worship your son given to this world may it be that we understand him well and understand what it means for jesus christ to be lord in whose name we pray amen so christmas is that time of year when we at least i think in the u.s get a taste of how things could be how things should be there's a little more kindness It's a little more grace. There's a little more generosity. We think about those who are in need, and we tend to sacrifice just a bit more so that they can have a better time of year. We gather with loved ones. We exchange gifts. What's with the gift exchange anyway, right? Why do we even do that? I mean, I think the first person that thought of it, probably everybody was on board. Like, hey, I'll tell you what, I'll give you a list of everything I want. You can wrap it in something pretty and give it back to me, Right. What a great idea. And I'll do that for you. And then your mom will probably give you some underwear and call that a gift. But either way, we're going to end up with things that we all want. Like, how cool could that be? And I wonder, too, I wonder if just the message hasn't been lost. Like, if an alien came to Earth right now, and they walked around, just say, the U.S., and they listen to the songs that we sing, and they see the parties that we have, and they look at the gifts we exchange, and they hear the way we talk to one another, even on the morning of uh, Christmas... Like, what conclusion would they draw about the reason we do this celebration? I don't know. I think, I think the message is lost today. Like, I've seen people that give gifts before. There was this Ebenezer Scrooge guy, but he just gave gifts because he was scared of dying. Some ghosts talked him into it. Then we have this guy, the Grinch, who was a thief that stole a bunch of gifts, and he didn't even give new ones. He just returns the one he took, and he got credit for it. Like, how does that work? And then there's this one guy named Buddy. But he's kind of an elf, and they're just kind of in the gift business. So, and then, of course, none of those are real people. Like, what, is, what does it mean when real people exchange gifts? Well, we do see a gift in this book that we love, this Bible that we study, and in this often unheralded Christmas passage of John chapter 1. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word became flesh. This thing from God that would be like his Son given to us? Matthew chapter 1 we read, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man, and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Now, can you just imagine, by the way? I mean, like I, I was engaged, right, before we got married. We were engaged for months before we got married. Can you just imagine that when you're engaged to your wife, your fiance at this point, that she begins to put on some pounds. But she's putting them on in a very particular area. And after a while, you're like, oh my goodness, I cannot believe what you have done to me. And she's like, no, 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 honey, this is of the Lord. And you're like, hmm, you need psychiatric help. Uh, God does not do these things. And yet, as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Which, by the way, is a reminder that Jesus is a title. Um, It comes from Yeshua, the Old Testament word. Maybe uh, you're familiar with that. Uh, But it literally means salvation. So Jesus is the one who will save us from our sins. In Luke chapter 2, we read this amazing encounter. And this is one of those that, like, when we get to heaven, my hope is that God has video that we can watch about these events. Although, in my own brain, I think, since God is outside of time, maybe what he could do is take us back to the moment when it happened and we can watch it live. But here we are. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. Praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among those with whom He is pleased. Now, there's a few things in here that, as these, I mean, it's an epic encounter. Angels are speaking to shepherds, but they have this moment like, born this day in the city of David. The city of David's Bethlehem. They had the prophecy from you, Bethlehem, will come the one who's going to be ruler of Israel. And he's called a savior. What does he save us from? He saves us from ourselves, the mess that we've created before God. And he is Christ the Lord. Christ means something. Christ is the the Greek version of the Hebrew word Messiah. So Jesus the Christ. Glory to God in the highest, seeing all of these angels. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Uh, But see, there's the condition. Peace, but only to those with whom He is pleased, and God is not pleased with everyone. Let's talk about just how good and loving this God is. He knew we would blow it, and much more than a skin knee for falling off the bike, humanity has permanently marred life on this earth, and we are now subject to the eternal judgment of God. And yet, the apostle Paul writes for us in Second Corinthians chapter five, "For our sake. He made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So for me, this is what I think of as the bucket verse, right? So imagine this. Imagine that when you're born in life, you're given a bucket, right? And every time you sin, a penny goes in the bucket. All right, given where you are in life right now, how much money do you have in your bucket? Uh, like, I have got buckets stored away. I've, I've got so much money. I'm loaded, uh, which is a great thing, except for when it comes to the judgment of God. But imagine this. You're going through life, and one day you bump into a guy, and this guy has nothing in his bucket. When he stands before God, totally pure, he'll be allowed to enter into paradise. And then he says to you, you know, I realize you've got a problem there, that you're not going to be able to pass the judgment of God. But I'll tell you what. I'll make you a deal. I'll give you my bucket, and then I'll take yours. And from here on out, every sin you commit, you just toss that penny in my bucket. You'll have the clean one before you. Like, what an amazing deal. Like, how do we get in on that? And yet, that's what Jesus did for us. Jesus is the one with the empty bucket, and he's offered to trade it with us. But there's a price. There's a cost. There is a transaction. Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says, The wages of sin is death. So what we deserve for our sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now, oh, those words are important, our Lord. They show back up again in Romans chapter 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses, and is saved. Oh Lord, what is it about this lord word again? So this is crazy. What a Christmas gift. So here's God who looks down on us, who we've blown the whole thing. We broke God's perfect world. We handed it back to him a mess and then we blamed him for it. And rather than just scorching us with fire, wiping us all out, he offers an escape. He gives us this beautiful gift. And when we unwrap the gift, what we find inside is the cross, the cross of Christ. We know that as we celebrate this season, it is not just to celebrate a baby that was born into this world. It's to celebrate a man who grew up and became king, who sacrificed so that we could gain. So the the cross is just this weird deal where God demonstrates to us that we deserved a punishment so brutal for what we have done to him. That if we were to have paid that ourselves, the cost never would have fully been realized. And in the end, we would have been condemned apart from God and sent away to hell forever. And yet, Jesus in his mercy, this God in the flesh, Emmanuel, was willing to take on the wrath of God himself. Allowing himself to be crucified by the very people he came to save. Satisfying our debt with God for those who would view him as Lord. It's that Lord thing that gets you into trouble. I remember when I was 16 years old and I was speaking to this man and he was sharing with me about Jesus and what he had done and he asked me if I believed in Jesus. And I, I did. I mean, I believed in Jesus. I believed that he was born in this world, that he lived on this earth. I believed that he had been crucified on a cross. But I'll tell you what I didn't believe. I didn't believe that he was my Lord. I think I would have said he was the Lord But there is a subtle distinction there. I mean, even the devil would say that that Jesus is recognized as Lord, but he is certainly not uh, the devil's Lord. And so in this remark, it, it makes me think of this, that there comes a point in your life when you have to go from Jesus as the historical figure as he's been revealed to Jesus as sovereign over my life, the one in whom I put my faith, the one in whom I believe, and that, at 16 years old, I had never done. And so after this uh, gentleman had shared with me that evening, I, uh, I left and I, I knew that if I stood before the judgment of God, <laughs> I was in trouble because I had so much sin in my bucket. I mean, I was filling that up and the tap was wide open. Um, and yet, as I got in my car to drive home that night, I thought, God, if you would offer forgiveness to me, I would gladly receive that. And so I prayed in my car and I confessed Jesus as Lord of my life. And so now I would ask you as we step into Christmas, have you embraced the gift that Jesus offers you? Forgiveness for all of your sin. If you will simply put your faith in him and submit to him as your Lord. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much for the good reminder today that you have offered yourself on our behalf. So that those of us that would put our faith in you would find a forgiveness that we do not deserve. Lord, what greater gift could be given than that those who don't deserve would get something unbelievable. We would find peace with God through the sacrifice of your innocent lamb, this one we celebrate as the newborn king the one who's come to take away the sin of the world, our Emmanuel, this Prince of Peace, this mighty God. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus, amen.